Welcome to The Master Plan, a property podcast. I'm Rebecca Shackleton from Polkadot Property. And I'm Nikita Jenkin from Scattered Recruitment. Nikita and I have come together to do this podcast with a goal of unpicking the complexities and the nuances of the property industry. We want to do that by interviewing guests who will offer insights on the industry and their career journeys. We're really excited to have you on this journey with us and we're going to have a lot of fun along the way. We're thrilled to have two key members of the local residential team with us today, Megan, Head of Marketing and Communications, and Cara, Development Manager. Megan has over 13 years' experience in the property development industry. Having started out working on large-scale retail assets, Megan's consumer-led approach was developed working with vicinity centres, repositioning, launching, and establishing retail assets, including being part of the team to deliver Emporium Melbourne. Prior to joining Local, Megan was leading teams within property-focused creative communication agencies across boutique and large-scale apartments projects, master plan communities, commercial and mixed-use precincts. Joining Meg today is Cara, a seasoned property professional with over eight years' experience in the development industry across South Australia and Victoria. Cara holds a Bachelor's in Construction Management and Economics from UniSA. Currently a development manager at Local, where she has been for the last 18 months, Cara previously contributed significantly to Charter Hall's project portfolio, overseeing the delivery of key developments in Melbourne CBD. Cara hails from Adelaide, where her previous role at Commercial and General progressed from a contract administrator into a pivotal in-house project management role. Cara's diverse experience and track record in the property sector define her as a dynamic and accomplished industry leader. Good morning. Welcome to the last episode of the Master Plan for 2023. And as the intro said, we're really excited to have Cara and Megan from Local with us this morning. Good morning, guys. Morning, Nikita. Good morning. Good morning. morning, Thanks so much for having us. So we thought it would be a really nice place to start to talk about some of the highlights for 2023. Who wants to start? Well, um, do you want some personal, some professional, a bit of both? I'd like a bit of both. Column A, column B. Column A, um, professionally for me, I think this podcast has been really exciting. I just in general for the year, having a really successful year, working with some people that I love in a business that I'm um, really passionate about, maybe actually um, becoming a committee member for the UDIA Engagement and Diversity Committee, so that's really exciting. And then personally, well, my dog ate my AirPods I the other day. So Devastating. <laughs> the fact that I haven't killed my dog is um, well done. A, great. Um, that that'll be my personal. <laughs> no murder. Yeah. <laughs> Meg. Yeah. So professionally, um, for me, we launched Locals Rebrand um, earlier in the year, which was a really big uh, achievement for me. Um, obviously, supported by the rest of the team, but for me to have that out in market was great, and that's obviously led to um, some really great exposure all the way through to just being nominated for our first Impact Award um, with the Tomorrow Awards for our work that we're doing in battery recycling. So that's been a really exciting achievement for me to get that brand in market and everything that's come with it. Um, and personally. We're just about to move into a house that we have done a minor renovation on um, and remain married. So I think that's huge a, achievement. Yeah, massive, massive achievement. Well done. And for myself, from a professional perspective, transacting on our South Melbourne project, which is our first turnkey development that local have secured um, earlier on in the year. It's one that we were working on for almost 12 months prior, if not longer than 12 months. So that was a really key milestone for me and um, starting construction with our builder, Hamilton Marino, back in May, June mm. this year. That was a yeah huge highlight. 
Um, and then from a personal perspective, I've been renovating all year. So the moment that I had the first shower mm-hmm. in my bathroom was so huge. That's a good moment. I've yeah, I think I told before. every person in my life about yeah. that shower. So. <laughs> and our audience as well. So did, it, did it get um, a spot on the grid of the renovation Instagram? It actually hasn't yet. Oh. I had prepared a big post with 10 photos for that one <laughs> and it got deleted from drafts. Oh. So I'm working my way back to putting that one in there. Awesome. And, and for me, yeah. I think my, um, you know, professionally, I have worked with some really fantastic clients, local being one of them, um, but be, I've onboarded a bunch of clients and done some really meaningful and um, great work for them. I've really, you know, carved out time to spend with my four-year-old, which has made me really happy and it's made him really happy. So um, just being able to have that time to spend with Charlie has been a huge highlight of 2023 and something that I want to continue to do in 2024 before he's off to prep. Um, so yeah, but professionally, the podcast as well has been something that's been a really nice um, moment in the year that we've, we've been able to come really together nice with moments, some yeah. yeah, some really really um, great people and have felt really supported. So it's been really good. Having so. said all of that, though, I do think everyone's professional and personal. Um, memories are a little bit more exciting than mine just not killing my animals <laughs> that for six years. Um, I think so, starting and ending the year with two pets is just an achievement. Yeah, yeah I do have two. So, like, it's probably not dissimilar to having at least one child. One dog is one, two dogs is 100. Yeah. So, yeah, no more dogs. I mean, pros and cons, you can lock yours outside when they're not. We can't no do one blinks an eye. It's yeah. less appropriate. Yeah. I love that. I have um, friends who have small children and I love my time with them but after a few hours I do enjoy the fact that I can go home and I feel really bad that you guys can't go home I'm so sorry I'm just rubbing it in so should we talk a little bit about your career journeys to date and kind of you know how you got into the property industry Megan we might start with you and can you tell us a little bit about your journey into property yeah sure so um it was by accident if I'm honest um I finished university I was up in Coffs Harbour at the time looking for roles to be able to stay up there and a job came up as a um, marketing assistant at a shopping centre. I just thought that the doors opened and the lights turned mm-hmm. on, to be honest. I didn't know there was a whole lot more behind the scenes and I obviously um, learned that pretty quickly. So um, I started in shopping centres and then fell into shopping centres that were in development periods and then found that that was, you know, something that I really enjoyed and the pace and the change of, um, you know, being able to reposition assets and work with retailers and customers and and just the broad spectrum of things that I got to do was awesome. And then I um, expanded that, moved to Sydney to work with what was then Colonial First State Global Asset Management, which had a brief stint as Novian and is now vicinity. So Mm. I moved with them from Sydney to Melbourne um, to work on what is now Emporium and that that was an incredible project for me and then I just by then had well and truly got the development bug. Didn't matter what I was doing, I just wanted to be around property that was progressing and changing and, and, you know, not not sitting still. So, yeah, that's how I ended up in property. And then you married somebody in property as well just so that you can live and breathe property. Look, it was very helpful (laughs) um, during COVID when I moved over to agency side and started working a lot of master plan communities very handy having him at my elbow so I could say, hey, I'm in a meeting but I don't know what an easement is. Yeah. Um, you know, it was incredibly helpful. <laughs> oh, my God, that is so helpful. You literally could ask him anything. And you've got a really lovely story as to how you um, got the role at Local, which involves our very own Nikita. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, this is my favourite story to tell, absolutely. So um, if you're not familiar with my LinkedIn, I like to 
lately my flavor is is making fun of my own boss um but I do <laughs> if you if you see that um but I go through sort of tangents of of funny posts and I really try to keep it quite lighthearted and, and interesting because I think just posting jobs all the time is really not that exciting it was Easter time uh I love kinder chocolate I had not had a single Easter bunny uh kinder Easter bunny and I was really proud of it it was probably the 11th hour and I was like that's it I need one right now I like I can't can't handle it. Um, and I went to the shops. It was really late at night and there were no Kinder Bunnies left on the shelves. So I made a post um, and I uh, the next day on LinkedIn about how you need to take every chance. So you need to take the chances that are presented to you because if you don't, for example, you will be left without an Easter bunny when there were millions on the shelves the day before. And so I made this post and at the bottom I thought it'd be funny to say if anyone has any, please feel free to send them to me at Um, This is my address at Central House where we work. The next day, uh, the reception girls emailed me and said, there's a package here for you. And I was like, I haven't ordered anything. What? Why do I have a package? This is so bizarre. And I went downstairs and there's this little box with my name on it. And I open it up and there is a pink and a blue Kinder Easter Bunny chocolate in there and Meg Hondramatidis' resume. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. This is like this. It was just a, a moment of like I was laughing and like I felt like I wanted to cry and it was just lovely. Um, and I called Meg and I was like, oh, my God, why would you? Like you didn't need to do that. And so then I felt indebted that I had to find this woman a job um, like uh, until I die. So um, Can I tell you a secret? Yes. They were actually overflow chocolates because my kids have been given so many. (laughs) I was going to ask. I was like, did you take those from Cleo and Zach? Is that what happened? 100%. They did not know they were in the cupboard, but I'm so glad that they could be given to someone who would truly appreciate them and not just use them in a mutiny against me. I know. So your kids are going to listen to this. I'm so sorry, Cleo and Zach. Yeah, so then Meg had um, some pretty specific sort of parameters about a role that she wanted and Amazingly, the local role came to Jeremy and myself. We work with a lot of build-to-rent developers um, and Jeremy has a great relationship with local. And he said, all right, we've got a, a head of marketing role, you know, who have we got because we work closely and I it, I was the only person it could be, um, is Meg. And it, and it was a perfect match was what you were looking for. Match made in heaven because when I gave Nikita that list of parameters, she was like, this is all really cute but that job doesn't exist. And I said, yeah, but to be fair, you asked me, what I wanted. That's what I wanted. Yeah. I didn't say it existed. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. It was yeah. really everything she wanted, the boxes were ticked. So incredible. It was great. Happy story. A great Thanks. story. Yeah. And Cara, what about you? How did you end up in the world of property and development? I've been obsessed with property from a very young age. So I grew up in a family of um, real estate professionals and property developers. So it's something I always knew I wanted. I originally thought I wanted to be an architect because I loved design and buildings. And when it came time for applying for uni degrees and I was seriously considering putting down architecture, it was actually my mum who convinced me to go down the construction management pathway just because from a job perspective, growing up in Adelaide, um, very limited opportunities in architecture, um, pay probably not quite as high as in um construction, the construction management field. And she knew I wanted to be leading projects and uh, making decisions on them, which whilst the design, the architect gets to design the building, it's really based on a client's brief, the um, development 
manager or project manager's brief. So yeah. and she you, was you still have the way. opportunity to have a meaningful input to design and architecture. Yeah, exactly. Even, you know, exactly. Architecture. So best of both worlds. So I um, I did a construction management degree at uni, which was um, I was probably one of six females out of a couple of hundred males wow. <laughs> at the time. Um, and a lot of them I think ended up becoming construction managers or project managers, contract administrators, very building-heavy um, careers. And I sort of followed down the pathway of um, cl- more client-side project management, development management, which um, which I'm really happy with now. And, Cara, so you went from Charter Hall, Charter Hall, Charter Hall yeah, to local. Yep. What are the biggest differences going from kind of a, a, a quite large developer to a, a smaller built rent, different kind of different housing sector? I think with a smaller company, inherently you're going to be involved in more facets of the development. Um, so that level of exposure is great, um, really getting into the detail of every every stage and um, component of a development from inception through to completion and beyond. Large institutional companies like Charter Hall are amazing for the network and that sort of exposure. Um, it was a very valuable time I, I think I had there. But by the time I wrapped up, I was um, really ready and excited to be at a smaller company where yeah. I'm lucky with local, we've got institutional backing. So there's a lot of similarities between Charter Hall and local from that perspective in terms of reporting and due diligence and all of that, which is which is great. It's kind of the best of best of both worlds. I might jump in because I chased Cara for a long time. <laughs> we had a Teams interview. I messaged her and I think I messaged her a few times um, and she finally came back to me and we had a Teams meeting um, in COVID. So this is probably now nearly two years ago um, and she wasn't unhappy but we just had a chat about what would the next role look like for you and, uh, look, it probably might have been me that put the idea of, what about a smaller group? You know, you can, and I have a lot of candidates who work at big institutions and they don't know what it's like at a smaller group. What I say is that often at a larger institution in a development role, you can be not pigeonholed, but you can be siloed to one stage of the cycle or a certain half of the cycle, whether it be front end or delivery. And at a smaller group, you get so much more exposure, so much more growth, so much more responsibility across the end to end that I, I I don't know, I can't remember it was two years ago, but I think Mm. that's what I was sort of pushing to Mm. Cara that I feel like you could have a huge opportunity here to deliver your own project, run your own project, start to finish all of this. And so basically she was in the background for a long time. You know, we could, there wasn't a role that I had that was enticing. And then again, local came to us and said, we want a development manager, um, you know, and we'd like someone with A, B and C. And Jeremy and I, I remember we both looked at each other and were like, what about Cara Clemente? And we get really excited in the office. This is how we talk. And, um, I gave her the call and here we are now. So just as an example, that, and I think that was a year between. So Cara and I met, had a Teams, and then a year later is when I had the role. So, again, just bringing it back to the recruitment piece, um, I often will say to people, look, I may not have something for you now, but I may have something in the future, and, and this is an example of that. So just, yeah, knowing what you want and what you'd be open to, and Cara wasn't open to absolutely anything. Definitely um, not. No, you were like, no, nah, not for me. No. Nah. Wasn't going to leave a company like Charter Hall for just any job. So, yeah. yeah so, and then here we are. So, 
And I have to say my exposure to the local team has been such a positive one. The yeah. the people that local attract seem to have really great values, be really friendly, really kind and really smart. So I think that, you know, when you find yourself in an environment where you're with like-minded individuals, it really makes going to work every day a pleasure. So Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's been a real focus for them with recruiting is just making sure we have a, a team that gets along really well yeah. and are, are all quite like-minded in that regard. They've done incredible. Their egos. <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say they've done an incredible job of compiling a bunch of really talented, experienced people um, that haven't come with the chip on their shoulder or Mm. the ego that sometimes you find people wanting to, um, you know, come into those high-level roles and assert some form of dominance. Like it really is Mm. everyone coming in because there's just that shared vision, which Mm. is an incredible vibe to be Mm. part of. So, Meg, uh, similar to Kara, you made a transition from agency to private. Can you um, sort of talk us through your thoughts around that transition in marketing? Because a lot of marketing candidates come from agency and move to developer side. Yeah, sure. So, I guess I, probably taking it back a step, I actually did the jump that not a lot of people do and and went from private to agency. That's right, you did. Because often once you start in one sector, you kind of sort of, or one... um, stream, sorry, you sort of stick there. And I actually got turned down from a lot of agencies when I was looking to move out of the shopping centre game into the agency game. And the reason I wanted to move was to have that 360 view because I figured if I had experience on client side and agency side, I got to choose my side of the fence and I'd be better at either wherever I ended up having sort of that full view. But getting into agency was really difficult because if you don't do it as a junior or a coordinator, they sort of go, oh, you won't be able to handle the pace. You can't flip from one thing to the other. Like you just won't be. And it's very rare. Dynamic. Enough. Not many people in a, in a PMM role at a developer will come to me and say, can you put me in an agency? It doesn't it's not a, a common transition. Yeah. And I think where I was lucky was that I I got to stay in property. So I went from the shopping centres to um, Savvy Communications, who had an incredible property portfolio um, that worked for me because I got to go in and I got to work on residential property, mixed use with that element of retail where I could still sort of flex what I knew as well as learning the other sort of facets of that. And then sort of throughout COVID moved from there to Cassette where I got a lot more exposure to things like industrial master plan communities um, and those sorts of categories as well. So for me, the jump back into private was really just wanting to be able to take that next step of really owning one brand and strategy and getting that into market. So agency is incredible for exposure Mm. and no day is ever the same and you get to do so many different things from getting involved in production of photo shoots, web development, design and building, so much customer experience work as well as, you know, just overall brand strategy. But then going back and w- what I was really craving was being able to sort of that run that one thing from start to finish and have visibility and influence over the entire outcome. Mm. Because at the end of the day, being as part of an agency, you can put your best foot forward. But if the client decides that there's a different direction that they want to take and maybe, you know, that's at odds with the recommendation um, or your sort of approach for how you've developed the brand, that's Mm. their call. A lot of developers will come to me and say, I'm really keen on someone from agency Mm. to come on board because they have handled, you know, so many different developers and so many situations. The ability to manage that and if you do well in agency, it actually works well for the client side. I think too there's a benefit of from a developer's perspective wanting to hire someone from agency, you know, there's a bit of perceived insider knowledge kind of thing because, 
I think there's always that hesitation with mm. working with a complete unknown is that you don't know what mm. the agency's putting in front of you um, unless you really trust them. And, and you know, I'm sure some people have been burnt by that. Everyone that I've worked for has been incredibly credible mm. um, and transparent about what they do. But I think that there's a level of comfort from a developer's perspective, kind of having that sounding board to make sure that they're, you know, paying for the right things, implementing the right things. Absolutely. And And your ability to manage your agency partnerships is really strong because you've been on the other side of the fence so that you understand the nuances and the challenges of being in an agency and, you know, making those recommendations and um, being able to support the implementation of those, which um, a lot of people that haven't worked agency side probably don't have. And I think, you know, when you think about project marketing, property marketing, it's very much a, a project management uh, skill set that you need and working in an agency, really, you get that in spades. The, you told experience. me half of that when you were my client. <laughs> Everybody who comes on here has worked with Beck in some form or capacity or worked at Stockland. Um, I obviously need to go and work there. Well, I can get you in there. Let me know. I actually have tried. I know people. <laughs> I've tried to um, many times. Um, so let's maybe switch and talk a little bit about uh, the actual build-to-rent sector because mm. uh, local is, you know, a developer who is making waves and it's a booming sector. We talk about it all the time. A lot of developers are trying to get into it. For those who maybe don't know what build-to-rent is, or just have a basic understanding. Meg, can you describe the unique sort of characteristics of that sector? Yeah, sure. So I guess the the most unique um, characteristic around build to rent is that the idea is complete ownership post-construction. So for a landlord to be able to build and continually operate a product that is exclusively for renters is the unique proposition there. So the idea is that rental security comes to the fore. So something that we've seen um, as part of the whole living crisis, but the Mm. rental crisis is people um, really being taken advantage of as renters, Mm. um, whether it's people selling houses from under them, raising rents at astronomical rates um, that people just can't afford. Part of what Build to Rent will do is actually provide security in that. So it's security of tenure, um, and security of, of price. And that is done because the developer themselves are the rental agency, essentially. Correct. So you don't go to an LJ hooker or your estate agent, your developer. So, for example, local is the leasing business as well. Correct. And, and you know, the, the beauty about built rent as every sort of property category is there's nuances within the way that we will do it um, at local is that we will have internal leasing agents, um, an internal resident services team who are on site with the maintenance team. So that service element, we get to control. So we get to have um, our brand, our attitudes, our approach flowing through every facet of our business. It's really like living in a beautiful hotel, is it? To a point, some some built-to-rent operators are absolutely positioned as hotels um, mm. because there is really luxury amenities, there's the apartments in incredibly high-end, as is the service offering. For local, we'll be really targeting that middle market um, of renters of people. So definitely there's an increased service element, there's great amenities that people have access to, um, but it won't be that really premium end of build-to-rent that some um, operators have definitely cornered. Wait, do you don't necessarily need that? I just, as a renter, at the moment, I've looked in some build to rent um, mm. apartments. I've been looking at them, and for some, the price I just can't justify it, regardless of the amenity. I can't justify 
basically double my rent now mm. um, for what they are offering. So I think there There's is definitely a, a huge spectrum of built rent coming to market. Mm. And I think um, operators such as local and Assemble are operating at that more accessible end of the market, whereas a lot of the other built rent developers are really pitching at and targeting um, high net worth individuals and, and yeah. you know, that, that quite luxurious experience. net worth people. But I think the when you look at the overall volume of product that's coming to market, it's um, significant, like, you know, and I think the, the work that local's doing is really going to support the, the current rental crisis and people that really need that opportunity to, to move into a home and feel secure and feel supported. And I know, do you want to talk a little bit, um, Meg or Cara, about the um, the SDA and the the social housing component that you've built in as well? Yeah, absolutely. So local um, locals initiative towards what we call impact housing, um, which is an umbrella term that uh, is made up of three groups. So specialist disability accommodation. So that's people our age that have high um, physical needs that end up in nursing homes because there is actually no appropriate housing for them to live in. Affordable housing, which I think we're pretty familiar with as, as a term um, for sort of key workers and the like for low to moderate income earners for who rent makes up no more than sort of 20 to 30% of their income and social housing. So for us, the social housing component that we've decided to target um, or allocate the homes to is women over 55 at risk of homelessness, mm. which frighteningly is Australia's largest growing cohort of homeless people. Um, so they're the three groups that make up impact housing. And at local, every development has at least 10% um, of the project dedicated to those homes. So we have partnerships with uh, women's property initiatives that will, for Kensington and South Melbourne, um, work with us to provide those homes to the social and affordable cohorts um, and Home in Place, who are our partner for NDIS housing. For us, it's really important to be able to make sure that people that don't have appropriate homes to live in feel at home and comfortable and have a place at local. And there's a real... Um, there's a really big focus on our approach of making sure that there is no segregation mm. through our projects. The amenity is all completely accessible and available to anyone that lives in these projects. Um, and the apartments will be sort of scattered throughout. So, you know, it's not like there's a social housing building. It's not like As there's an SDA floor. Why is it like Absolutely. that? It's just, yeah. it doesn't really make sense. Well, it doesn't to us, but people do it. Um, and it leads to some pretty negative outcomes, um, for, for mental health and social, mm. socially. So for us, it's really important to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Mm. Um, and that's because we want to. It's not because there's tax breaks. It's not because the government's no, giving us a drop out. Right thing to do. It's because Dan and Matt are incredibly yeah. committed. Yeah. I want to ask Cara, um, as someone who has worked in development on build to sell, essentially, whether it be residential or commercial, but the traditional type of development, what do you think the biggest difference is as someone working behind the scenes on this project between those sort of traditional development assets and then working on a build to rent asset? I mean, I think the biggest difference between build to rent and build to sell residential 
buildings would be that longevity lens that we have throughout um, the design process. Um, so we are going to be owning and operating these buildings for a long period of time. So we don't want to make any shortcuts just to make a quick sale and keep that bottom line down. It's all about um, being able to operate long term, not have to replace things after just a couple of years because of wear and tear. So that that's an important element for us when designing. It's also just making sure we have adequate amenity. So built to rent probably has quite a bit more um, communal amenity for for mm-hmm. our residents. So pool, like e- even with targeting that middle market, we've got swimming pools and gyms and wellness wellness areas, private dining rooms and cinemas and um, things like co-working. So, you know, it, co- it, it's yeah. about that non-core amenity. So say that you want to work from home a couple of days a week you don't actually have to pay for an extra bedroom to turn into an office. A lot of the apartments have study nooks and things like that in them anyway, but things like co-working really facilitate people either being able to save time um, on their commute and money on not having to sort of rent that extra room to mm. set up as a home office. Mm. Mm. Cara, do you think there's a difference being the development manager, waking up in the morning and having maybe more of a fulfilment, more of a purpose, that you're not just going to work to develop a sort of faceless, you know, tower of offices. You've got an end user in mind. I assume it's a nicer feeling to go to work every day. The impact housing component of our developments that Meg was talking about just before, that gives you a real sense of purpose, I think, with 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 what we do. I think one of the really beautiful things about build to rent and the sector is that the onus is really on the developer to deliver a high quality product because you're you're going to be in touch with your residents and you're going to be facing your residents for the long term. So, mm-hmm. you know, so having that requirement to build quality, to pick really good materials, to really build a space that people enjoy living in. Well, we're maintaining them, right? Like there's there's so many different angles that we need to approach this from. We're keeping them and maintaining them, so we're building them well from the start Mm -hmm. so that they last and so that they're, um, you know, the best product that they can be. We're really trying to, in in build to rent, as a category, community is a big part of that. Mm. Obviously, you can't jam a bunch of people in a department development and say, you are now a community. Mm. It's about providing opportunities for people to create those moments of contact. Um, and, and for us, it's about providing spaces and opportunities for people to find those like-minded um, individuals or families that, mm. that are within the projects to really sort of form their own idea of what community means to them. And, and we just get to be the platform for that. Yeah. And that happens organically, but you need to provide the spaces and the opportunity for people to connect. And, you know, that's certainly what I've seen through um, apartment projects in a similar vein, that if you provide the spaces and if you provide the, um, the, the opportunity, then people will definitely come together. And I think that shared experience of moving into a new building particularly is a really mm. exciting one for people and that brings people together. And then from that, you really see that those relationships start to develop and that's how you can create a really well-connected and um, really lovely community to be a part of. And and it's the modern Australian neighbourhood, right? Mm. Like it's, you know, it's not that everyone has a huge front yard and kids are running barefoot up the street. Like we're Mm. building in, in a, in a ring suburban areas where we need to have a rethink about what that makeup looks like. And I know that you haven't gone to market in terms of your lease up campaign yet, because that's obviously something that you do closer to when the building is completed, which is a huge difference between build to sell and build to rent and one that we're all still trying to get our heads around. Do you think that the market in general knows that these opportunities are coming and that there's, you know, there's, there's a huge quantum of built rent coming to market. 
and, you know, they will have different options and different opportunities and they don't need to put up with the horrendous treatment that they've like, been getting. When I think about it, we all know this because we work in yeah. property, but if yeah. I, my normal friendship group that have just non-property mm. jobs, if I said BTR or build to rent, they'd be like, what? Yeah. Look, I can tell you based on the research that the awareness of build to rent is incredibly low. Yeah. We've got a big job to do as a category and it's not on any one of us to, mm. you know, take the reins and go, right, we're going to educate the Australian rental market on what mm. build to rent is. It's going to happen. Well, even and just the name build to rent is not very customer facing. It's very much a development term. It's mm. not at all. And that's not the angle we'll be taking. And then um, you throw in multifamily and all of these other terms that are just. Well, yes. Someone said the other day, single family, multifamily. And I had to be like, Jeremy, what does that mean? And essentially, single family is just a house. It doesn't house mean that you're moving in with Jeremy's family, like because that's what it <laughs> sort of sounds two, like. He's got two kids now. I'm good. I've and got Aunt Nikita. Um, but but it is confusing, and and I think too being um being a country that's following progressed markets like the US and the UK, we can't help but pick up the hangovers of their terminology, right? Mm. So because that's how things get applied at the start, and and we really we'll find our feet and how we refer to things. And and from a customer-facing perspective, we will define what that sounds like. But no, we won't be going out it's calling it build to rent. Probably and, and in general, though, the amount of, what do we call, what are they acronyms. called? Acronyms. And Beck has to say, I just tell me what they mean half the time because there's just so many. But it's, it just blew my mind that we're using this new kind of terminology when we have the existing terminology. So single family is house and land like it just is bizarre See, I wouldn't have even put that together well that's what it obviously most is on our to-do list for 2024 for the master plan like, podcast is to create the list of acronyms episode. can you yeah, make it a jingle that's how I'll retain it better if it's a jingle um yeah you I just want to pivot a little bit and talk about leadership and property and in particular, being a woman in property, we, um, you know, we, we talk about this quite often on the show. And I think it's a really important point when we've got, you know, four women in here that have really done, um, extraordinary things in their career. And, and, um, and Meg, I know you've got two small children. Um, Cara, you've just gone through a massive renovation. How do you balance it all? And, and what do you think the, some of the ongoing challenges are about being a woman in property? I think from my perspective, I'm, coming at it from a little bit of a different angle because, yes, I'm a woman in property, but I'm in a female-dominated work stream. Yes, I was just thinking that. So I, 80% of my bosses have been female mm. um, and I have had some incredible leaders in that space. I think also being in a female-dominated work stream, being marketing, which let's be honest, there's more than once that I've been referred to as the fluff and glitter department mm-hmm. in a meeting. <laughs> Get our um, crayons out. You are the heart and soul. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not only. But it's that kind of unconscious bias that we, we do deal with and, you know, the jokes and the, you know, did you bring your crayons kind of that, that, you know, and that's what we have to overcome. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard because yes, you're the upbeat, you're the creative side, mm. you're the, you know, you're the ones that are um, visually representing the brands. So, there is an element of creativity to that, obviously, mm. but there's also being marketing. Sometimes it's the first thing to go mm. because it can be seen as a non-essential mm. item. Um, so for a department that has to justify every dollar being deployed, it's incredibly important to be taken seriously. Mm. So to play into those stereotypes, which you see some people mm. doing, isn't, isn't helpful for mm. us. Um, so I think that 
I don't know if males in the industry have changed or I've just learned a lot in regards to how to manage people effectively and how to manage the outcomes that I need effectively. Mm. Um, and the, the experience that I've got in my role, um, probably commands mm. more respect in different conversations mm. than a female going into marketing in property. Yeah. Straight out of uni. Ten years um, ago. but I'm really hoping that it continues to get better because yeah. it, it has definitely gotten better with workplace. Mm appropriate and behavior. it's a conversation now isn't it so it's something that we can talk, we about, talk confidently. about this every episode yeah we do mm-hmm. and Cara I'm particularly interested in your insight here being in the development side which you know as Meg um, rightly pointed out as marketers in, in property you know we, we are surrounded by really fantastic females developers um you know often uh, tend to be men and I know that um you know Nikita will probably speak to this as well but Good female development managers. Oh my god, that's why I sought after in my pocket for over a year. If you are a female development manager and you are listening, please check your LinkedIn because I will have sent you a message. And if you, Nikita's in your DMs, I am in your DMs. And if you don't use LinkedIn very often, go. It's in there. Come back to me. Let's talk. I have opportunities. But absolutely, Cara, you you can probably speak to this better than any of us. No, I think historically. Development has very much been male dominated, but I've been lucky enough to be, um, to have worked with some really amazing female leaders, um, at, at all, all companies that I've worked at. Mm. Um, in Adelaide, I had an incredible, um, project director, um, who, when we first, when I first started working, working with her on a large private, um, hospital development, I remember walking into the room of our first project meeting and sitting around the table it was just all men Mm. and she and I were the only females walking into the room and I was um quite confronted by that I knew I knew it was going to be a male heavy industry but that was um that was um a little bit daunting as you know a young starter Um, but I have felt supported by both um female and male leaders that I've worked with at you know all three companies across the last eight or so years um and seeing some really brilliant female leaders shine and um, mm. be a really good example for me and really mm. great role models. Cara and Meg, this question is for both of you, but what do you think is the most rewarding aspect of the work that you do? For me, it's working in large teams, which large project teams, and starting out with a vision for a building and then seeing it slowly come to life mm. in front of your eyes. And then at the end of, end of it all, seeing people actually occupy the space, use it, enjoy it. That's probably the most rewarding part for me. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think it's that, um, it's that little private smile that you have to yourself when you drive past something or you see something, you go, I was really proud to be part of that. And I think that that's what we're building um, at local and within the teams and and the people that we get to work with are incredible and the purpose behind our business and what we're setting out to achieve is really important to all of us, which just makes that that side of it really rewarding. And um, one of the partners that we're working with at the moment described it to me recently as, as the dinner party test. They said, we just don't want to be walk, uh, working with anyone 
that we wouldn't be proud to sit down at a dinner party and someone go, oh, what are you working on at the moment? They're like, oh, this incredibly exciting client called Local or, you know, this great project. And and that for me. Well, that's me at my dinner parties. I'm going to roll with this company. I'm really excited about it. Me at the moment. Every, everything we're doing is ticking the dinner party test, yeah. which just makes me feel really fulfilled. Yeah, me too. I get excited when I go over the bolting and I see the local signage <laughs> on, on the right <laughs> as I'm coming over as one of my clients because you are doing some extraordinary things and I think it's, um, you know, that that moment where you feel really proud of the, of the contribution that you've had to, um, to a really good outcome. Thank I, you. We're really proud of it. Yeah. If you could change one thing about the property industry, what would it be? I think more women supporting women, um, Mm -hmm. kind of on what we were saying before, there's still quite a bit of competition between different females because, or between females in the industry, just Mm. because um, to get to the top is such a rare or it's, mm. it's it's more rare for a for a female than a male not as many females um in that in, those leadership, in the leadership, in the leadership yes. roles I think for me it's probably having more influence over accessibility for homes for people and I think the industry as a whole really needs to understand that there's a housing crisis and that it's our responsibility as a sector to work on products and pricing and opportunities for people to, you know, to have a really lovely home and to age in place, particularly as you were saying before, Megs, the the cohort of um, homelessness is women over 55, which is a terrifying statistic. And I think that as an industry we've got a real, um, you know, we need to be better at, you know, providing good good quality, well-priced product to market. I think you're right and I think it comes down to, you know, just taking responsibility and Mm. it's the quality Mm. and it's the supply and it's working together to build it all up rather than working against each other. Like there's just, you know, there's there's always going to be Mm. positive competitive friction Mm. um, but sometimes it just feels like it's an industry where people are getting cut down. Yeah, and the feasibility, which is obviously a really critical part of a project and commercial outcomes need to be where they are for, you know, our investors and, you know, there's some really um, key reasons why things are, are done the way that they're done and projects are priced the way that they're priced. But I think putting people at the centre of everything that we're doing as developers really will help to overcome some of those um, some of those challenges. Yeah, and support from government as well with mm. all of that in terms of planning and tax reforms to assist us Absolutely. with actually doing that. Yeah, and actually having the ability to get projects to market quicker so mm. that we've got more stock on, on the market and we've got more homes that we can put people into. The way that the property industry could positively progress is continue but actually grow in the way that they put the consumer at the heart of everything that they're doing. Um, you know, it's great that people are operating in a more sustainable way. It's great that people are approaching things with society and social outcomes more in mind. Um, sometimes that looks great on an award but not necessarily works yeah. in practice. So I think it's just making sure that the people outcomes mm. are really what's driving decisions. Mm. Um, so Christmas is close. It is the that exciting time of the year that, you know, we are about to wrap up for the holidays. And my next question or my last question, I guess, is what are um, maybe everybody's goals and aspirations for 2024? My 2024 is a really exciting one for Polkadot Property. We've got um, we've got a lot of new clients coming on board, and we've got some really great projects that we are going to be involved with. So, um, some really exciting and interesting work on the horizon. So, very much looking forward to that. 
I'm moving into my dream home next week in Eltham. It is a dream. It is like a 70s palace. It's a 1973 merchant builder home, which is just absolutely stunning. And um, Mike and I are really excited to kind of, you know, shift from the inner city a little bit further out. But, um, you know, really excited about all of the um, exploring that we'll get to do. It's like a subtle tree change. It's a subtle tree change. It's only half an hour away from the city, but it's, um, you know, it feels like it's a little bit further out. So, so that'll be really, really fantastic. And as I said, said at the start, you know, Charlie will start prep, not in 24, but in 2025. So making sure that I'm carving out time to spend with him because, you know, he's growing up and, you know, as Cleo, four-year-old, thinks that he already knows everything about the world, but I'm um, very excited to spend more Such time with him. age. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, 2024 is going to be all, all about not renovating. That is what you do for your job. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do that for your job and then you go home and you'll get uh, itchy feet and you'll want to do it again. <laughs> It's different when you're blowing plaster dust out of your own nose, though, versus watching someone else build a building. Very different. I mean, the guys have seen me come to work every Monday with paint in my hair, dust God knows where. So (laughs) it's going to be lovely start to so relaxation relaxation no a I think it's going to be a huge year from a work perspective we've got three um developments underway um one which will be reaching completion so I think we're all just going to be really busy knuckling down making sure we can deliver those um as best we can Mm. Yeah, and then just building on that, that's the really exciting part for me next year is, you know, building, continue to build on what we're doing um, with local from a, a B2B perspective, but then really hitting the consumer market um, mm. and taking the project out there and and um, getting tenants for our first building that's at Kensington, exciting. which is really exciting. And being able to flex the brand into that consumer space um, will be a really, really big um, mm. piece for me and and what I'm yeah I'm really looking forward to it um and then yeah just continuing to try and keep up keep up with the kids um they're both on bikes now I've had to get a new bike um which, which you love which yeah. I love which is oh, this will be like the year of band-aids oh yeah there's a bit of that it's usually me um but <laughs> But yeah, just um, I, I just continue to say that every age is the best age. They get more fun, Same. more capable, and it's just you know um, every year is incredible with them. Yeah. So just looking forward to more adventuring. Yeah. Um, for know. me, now you've said pretty much every episode that you will buy or rent. Oh no, off whoever we've had. Oh, well, so, okay, so, so, <laughs> so so far, you're buying in a Samuel development. You're yep. moving into a boutique home. You're buying an investment out at Highlands. Guys, I'm, <laughs> I'm not placing that many candidates that I can do. But I actually, this whole time, have been thinking in the back of my head. Well, maybe I'm going to go look at the local um, apartments soon. Long term security. Yeah, exactly. And you can paint your walls. I have a lot of. Art. I'm all about art. Bare walls. The dogs are welcome. The dogs. Do you have a dog spa? We have a shampooch, pet wash, That'll and do. a bark park. Um, for me, next year, I just want to continue doing what I do. I love my job day in, day out, and um, just placing fantastic candidates like yourselves with fantastic clients like local. Um, but actually, I've actually been pressuring. Jeremy to let me move to Sydney and open up a scouted office. So it's a pipe dream. Um, But now that I've said it out loud, maybe the universe will deliver. There you go. Yeah. Thank you, Cara, and thank you, Megan, for being so generous with your time with us this morning. Thank you, Nikita, for the six episodes that we've done thank in you, 2023. Thank you, for it's us been... jumping on board yeah. this train together. Yeah. It's, it's been, been very fun. Lots of fun. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, it's been great to come us. for a chat. We'll see you next year. Okay, bye. 
Thanks for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you also to our sponsors, Polkadot Property, a small but mighty marketing consultancy connecting people to place. And Scouted, your go-to for property and construction recruitment. To scout is to seek, to be scouted is to be found. If you'd like to get involved, you can reach out to Nikita and I at themasterplanpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Bye.